I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to fangirl radio uh, the return i'm your host jessica dwyer and with me as always is the lovely miss rachel moore good evening uh this is a special episode as if they aren't all special but this was i guess be called an extra special episode um we will be discussing the life of the late great Peter O'Toole, as well as his works in um, on stage and screen, uh, I, that loss was very deeply felt by myself and I believe Rachel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the last greats and definitely one of the last of that awesome crew of people um, that included Richard Burton and Oliver Reed and um, uh you know, Richard Harris, just that group of, of actors that could down two bottles of bourbon and then go on stage and recite <laughs> verbatim Shakespeare. That is amazing. And I can't think of many others that could do that kind of a thing now and, uh, and pull it off with what they, the gravitas that they did. It's just amazing. And, uh, I, uh, I felt that one bad, uh, that, uh, very, he's one of those guys you think would live forever. And I was surprised by how young, relatively, he was for what he looked like. But that's what happens when you have a, a, a rollicking life like he did. Somebody said that he fit 100 years into, or 150 years into his 81. I think he did. I, I, I think he did. Um, so we will be talking about Peter O'Toole. And we will also be discussing something near and dear as well to Rachel's heart, which is... The Sandman and the big news that happened this week. Um, And then afterward, we will be talking to Gonzalo Lopez Gallego, who is the director of the new film Open Grave, which stars fangirl favorite Shalta Copley. (laughs) And I've been waiting for this movie for so long. And also it stars Thomas Kretchen, who is in everything now. Um, Thomas Kretchen, um is in Dracula. He is in uh, Dracula, the 3D film uh, that uh, Argento just did. Uh, he's just in everything. He's popping <laughs> up everywhere. And he is in this. Um, and I am very, very excited for this movie uh, because it's one that a lot of people have been waiting for. And we will finally get the question 
answered, is it a zombie film? Is it a serial killer movie? <laughs> what the F is this about? And we will be answering your questions about that uh, later on in the show. Uh, but first, before we get into that, um, the big news in the world of comics, and now it's not as big as we thought, but it's still a good, good news story, is uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt took to Twitter to confirm that he is, in fact, working on the new Sandman movie with Neil Gaiman and David Goyer, who is going to be pinning the script. Now, um, later on after the the blizz of oh my god he's going to be playing the sandman he's going to be dream oh my god and he's going to be directing it too oh my god which i was completely and absolutely on board for because he's a fine actor he's an amazing artist and he's a good director too he's very talented i just don't know that i saw him as dream i think if you're a sandman fan you have very specific ideas of the quality somebody who plays dream would have and so um I'm just happy that I really kind of feel that it's the I that his passion probably got this finally going a little bit more because you, you know if you follow Neil Gaiman's blog or his Tumblr or his Twitter, you know that they pitch Sandman very frequently, and it's not under Neil Gaiman's control. It um, DC owns Sandman, so it's exciting that the this seems to be actually happening and i'm cautiously optimistic that it actually will um but he's producing it and they already have neil gaiman listed as the executive producer but neil gaiman on his tumblr said basically this is the first time i'm hearing about it so yay <laughs> right well and and that comes from the fact that gaiman doesn't own the rights to this really at all back in when he signed with the ec to make this it's that great you know comic book writing deal that you basically don't have control over anything after a point right. of what you're making. Now, the thing that I I would be okay with seeing him be Dream is I know the range that he has, and I know what they did with him in Looper, which was turn him into Bruce Willis, and believably so. Well, um, I, I think he could play the role. Um, I think he's a good enough actor to play the role, and especially with the kind of special effects that they have and the kind of makeup that um, people are capable of. I think the the biggest problem most people have with it is just the height. Well, and yeah, that can be easy. Look at the Hobbit. Yeah, you know, but and- I think I think also a lot of us see it as a British series. And so it's difficult to get that out of one's head as well, to an extent, even though dream is supposed to be, I mean, as we're seeing in overture, there's a different dream for every kind of person. There's a, there's dream takes the form of cats or of, you know, what he needs to take. Who would you like to see play it? Well, you mean other than Benedict Cumberbatch? Yes. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch. I don't even know. <laughs> to me, it's not even a question. To me, he was born to play it because there are two things that are important when you look at. I mean, Dream was um, fashioned after, say, David Bowie and Bauhaus, and you know, um, with a little bit of uh, the Cure thrown in. And so, to me, whoever has, whoever plays that, has to have cheekbones forever. And no matter how, because I think you pretty much have to. Um, alter the voice 
somewhat with the facts just because if you read the comics, his voice, all the, all the endless have a different font effect on their voice. Their voice has impact. You still have someone who has a real good command and a real eloquence to the way that they enunciate. And so to me, you need a stage actor. And I don't necessarily care that they're Billy, um, Billy Crudup could play dream. You'd be good too. But Uh, I I think that what he did with, with um, Watchmen really shows that Joseph Gordon-Levitt could feasibly play dream and we would buy it just like we bought him as Mr. Manhattan. Yeah. Dr. Manhattan. It would be, you know, it's one of those things that I think as long as it's a good actor who can pull it off, um, you know, that we know has range with all the special effects and everything, anybody as as long you know we we could get someone in that role that you wouldn't necessarily think would fit the look. Because I would almost have an un, I would love to see an unknown stage actor. Right. Well, I mean, even Doug Jones could do it. Yeah. If you wanted to go with that, I mean, he has the height, he has the cheekbones, he has the hands. Yeah, the hands are a big deal. I mean, I think to me, there's there's a real the thing is I don't want. As much as I'm glad that we live in an age where it's possible to make something like Sandman because of the special effects we have, I also don't want it to be super overproduced because there is a powerfulness in these characters that I think would lend themselves to a stage actor who could bring it and then the special effects just enhance their performance. See, the, I, I would. I'm going to. I'm going to make Rachel roll her eyes here a little bit, but man, if they had done this back in the '80s. Peter Capaldi could have played that role, but see, I wouldn't be t- terribly opposed to him doing it now. He could, and he could do it now too. I don't think that Sandman is young. I mean, part of the thing is they're called the Endless, and so there's an agelessness. And so, if you have an actor, whether it's a young actor who can play old or an older actor who can who still has a hold of his youth, that is fine with me. Yeah, because I I, I see his portrayal in Neverwhere of Islington and I'm like oh my god but that's exactly you know, the quality I'm talking right. about because Benedict also played Islington in the um Islington in the um radio drama and brought very similar nuances and so what I'm looking what I look for in this role because this role is so important to a lot of people it's like playing Doctor Who to a lot of us you know um which is why it's taken so damn long for him to finally get around to me. Well, and even now, this doesn't mean this is going to happen. Right. I mean, part of it is they pitched a three-movie thing last time on Neil Gaiman's Tumblr. And it was a beautiful distillation of what was going on in the comic books. And they were told, look, this is like crazy complex and too intelligent for the viewers. And Neil Gaiman was saying, look, you have to give your readership and your viewership some credit here and i think that's my second biggest concern is as much as i want to see it happen i it needs to have be treated with the love and respect that say lord of the rings was it needs to be taken seriously as the fantasy epic it is and how important it is to the core audience well and of the other part of this too that is you know we'd have the endless in in there and i i think we could finally have tilda swinton play desire see i was going to say that i if I was going to cast Joseph Lorden, Joseph Lorden, Joseph Gordon Levitt, I would cast him as Desire because he could do androgyny and he can do gorgeous. And 
I I think so too. But I I really because I've seen a lot of his work and and he's done some things that I would surprise people that he you know the range that he's had and I really I would be on board for him being Dream. I I would really love Tilda Swinton or David Bowie to be Desire. For God's sake, he could still do it. David David Bowie. The thing is, I don't. I don't see desire as being as ethereal as that. Desire to me is a lot raunchier. And I I would love, I mean, it's somebody with golden eyes and warm skin. And so I would love somebody young and gorgeous to play desire who could do androgyny, who could dress in something. And you don't know if it's the most beautiful man you've see, ever seen or the most beautiful woman. And especially when you look at the designs for. Or how about Neil Patrick Harris? I could see that. I could totally see that, especially with him in Hedwig and the Angry Itch right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's the thing is to get him to have the time to commit for that for however many. Well, years. and that's the same with Benedict Cumberbatch. Well, it's true. You're, but you're going to run want, into that with a lot of But it's one of those roles that I think people would ruin their lives over. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it is one of those incredible Shakespearean epic roles. So, who knows? I mean, I... I don't really. I only say Benedict not out of some fangirliness, but because oh, he'd make the first it. time I saw him, I'm like, oh my gosh, it looks to me when I the very first time I saw him, I thought he looks like he was drawn out of a Neil Gaiman comic book, and so I would love. I mean, he could play Desire for all I care, but, um, <laughs> or or Destiny, he, Michael Fassbender. Just saying, oh. but um, as <laughs> Destiny, but I, I, you know, Rachel Vice is as death i have it all cast in my head <laughs> i see that they should just call me and be like rachel who do you want and i tell them <laughs> but uh as of right now um i i'm sure that the the mass twitter response i think he got like four thousand five he got like between 5,500 retweets at one point and 4,000 favorites of him um, announcing that he's going to be working on Sandman with David Goyer and the and Warner Brothers is doing it. Um, His goal was to, to show them that there was interest. He succeeded. Right. Well, <laughs> and now he just, he came back and clarified uh, last night at a quarter till 11 um, that he is only a producer he the the line that he said though the rest remains to be seen means i think that he's actually trying to get a role in it and um probably a sandman but maybe desire maybe rachel get her wish who knows though because no no one knows he could be anything he couldn't even be he might not even be the endless i mean the other thing people don't realize is he could be constantine Hellblazer is tied in there. Books of Magic are tied in there. Zatanna shows up in Sandman at one point. Um, Shakespeare shows up. I mean, if they're doing the Doll's House, there's a there's a great transgendered character. There's the Ken and Barbie characters. I mean, the thing is, it's a rich rich amount there's the serial killers i would totally be down with him as john constantine the corinthian what if he was the corinthian <laughs> we're, with, we're just well, talking out of our asses again. <laughs> with little like sharp teeth for eyes come on oh my god but right? like I, who wouldn't want to play a villain that would be like a he's life very good with noir-esque things so i would be okay with him playing constantine just saying yeah. Well, um, if, if he was blonde and British, sure. You know what? James Marsters could do that and do it yeah. right. 
and he's not British, but he, could, but he could do it. So, yeah. So <laughs> I think we beat flog that horse because we're going to be talking about this a lot as this develops. And, you know, it's it's Hollywood, so it could be years before we hear something else it, on this. It, but it could be. Thank deep. you, yes. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, for putting your money behind that because that's what producer means. It means that he anteed up to make sure that this happens. Well, and, and, and uh, yeah, and Rachel will forgive him for being on the Lady Gaga Muppet special now, I'm sure. Was I mad at him for that? I'm sure you were. I think. <laughs> I don't even think I was aware of but it. But props to him for being in the switcheroo of Baby It's Cold Outside, where he's the one trying to leave and she won't let him. Yes. <laughs> I just like a lot of what that kid does. He's always been very talented. And- I-, I love the fact that he, he did the uh, um, redo of the Lady Gaga song and yes, he called her a god. A- Essex a goddess and now you <laughs> like make out with her with the Muppets. It's kind of wrong. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, which you can actually watch that on Netflix streaming. They have that already up there. Your head, the inside of your head is truly a dizzying place. Uh, that is an actual <laughs> thing that happened on network television. I believe it. Um, so, but uh, from that, let's talk about a legend that we have lost because uh, this one hit me pretty hard, as I've said. Uh, I have loved Peter O'Toole for a very long time. And the thing with a guy like Peter O'Toole is we don't have many of them left. And uh, I, I've watched this guy my entire life. And I'm pretty positive that he's to blame for some of this whole loving men from the UK who have giant blue eyes of doom and are snobby, prissy, yet there's something about them that's really manly um, guys. And he was a legend who started from nothing. I mean, he came from nothing. He was born in 1932. Um, Some some say Ireland. Others thought England. You don't know. Um, Neither did he. He wasn't even sure what his birth date was. Um, But he uh, came from nothing, very poor. But he made himself into uh, this icon. Um, And at a very young age was nominated for the first of many Oscar nominations that he did not win. He was like the Susan Lucci of the Oscars. Right. He never won an actual Oscar for a film. He was given one um, years ago, a couple of years ago. He was a bad boy. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's that because he lost out to like Rex Harrison. <laughs> and, and, and let me tell you a story about Rex Harrison really quickly. <laughs> Rex Harrison won... He beat him. Um, he beat him for Beckett. He was up for Beckett. And, oh wow! And um, he w- lost to Rex Harrison in My Fair Lady. Rex Harrison got the role in My Fair Lady. How he was considered too old for the role in My Fair Lady. He sent nude, full-on photos of himself to the director to show. <laughs> I am not too old to be in My Fair Lady. Look at this, and he got the part. So there you go. Um, but he very young age got. I think he was like twenty eight, maybe maybe twenty eight, when he starred in his first major film, which just happened to be Lawrence of Arabia. 
which he was Lawrence. He was T.E. Lawrence. And, uh, oh, my God, this man in this film and his face. Let's just talk about Peter O'Toole's eyes for a moment. Okay. I have never seen the eyes of an angel in my life. But in this film, Peter O'Toole's eyes are not human. There's something inhuman about them in the way that they, they look on a big screen, in the color of this, of this film, in this, just surrounded by the desert with this white flowing headpiece on, this tanned face, this aristocratic face, and these eyes that look like they've been plucked out of the sky and placed in his head. <laughs> um, he, and he's 28 years old. He's not even 30 when he did this film. And gets nominated for a Best Acting Oscar and blows everybody away. And here, here's, the, here's the best part. My dad, my father, his favorite movie of all time, I just found this out today, is Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> That's something for my dad to say because he isn't, you know, you wouldn't think my father liked Lawrence of Arabia, but it's because of him. And... Well- because he was he was gorgeous, but he was so masculine in that. And it's he has these blue eyes with this giant, lush fringe of eyelashes, and he kicks ass. And he kicks ass. And the best part is, T. E. Lawrence, gay man. And and it it was so wonderfully portrayed in that film that you you pick up on, get a little bit of clue into that, but O'Toole played it so perfectly. That it just is hinted at, not a big part of the whole thing, and it just is a perfectly done role. I mean, he's great, amazing, and his, it's a real life story. So it just was amazing role. And first time out of the gate, that's what he gets. And then we go to Shakespeare, <laughs> you know, and just just over and over again and the man just nails these performances and is nominated for like consecutive years like 1962 you have Lawrence of Arabia then you come to Beckett which is like two years later then a couple years after that you got the Lion and Winter just every couple of years Peter O'Toole's up for an Oscar man of La Mancha yeah it's it's crazy and then he does and, and the roles the range of this man was so great He's been animated Sherlock Holmes. Yes. He's been, I was just, you know what's funny is I was watching Stardust, not to bring it back to Gaiman or anything, the other day with Ian, and watching him play the, the Dying King. Yeah. And thinking, how long are we going to have him? I actually said that to Ian. I'm like, I don't know how long we're going to have Peter O'Toole, but just in the few minutes he's in that movie. Well, and, and not just that, but the thing that a lot of people keep forgetting that he was in and not too long ago was Casanova. Mm-hmm. As old Casanova. As old Casanova. And I love the fact that David Tennant, who has these giant brown eyes of doom, you know, he's got their dark, dark brown. They made him wear contact lenses that I, I would love to have seen them because <laughs> He has that blue of his of Peter O'Toole's eyes in this, and there it's striking to see him like that. But he looks like a young Peter O'Toole, and that 
that miniseries is just awesome. Really well done. And well, and he was in the Tudors, which is incredibly edgy for. And he was not just in one episode. Either. No, <laughs> no. And 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 so it's you know, and Casanova. If you have not seen it, you really should watch it. It's on Netflix streaming, I believe, still. And I've never been a fan of the story, and it's but it's a great rendition of it, and it actually brings around what you're supposed to learn from the story of Casanova and. As well as just being avant-garde and how it treats the staging and the story. Well, and I mean, I dare you not to cry. Yeah. At the end. And because he, God, he's so good. He's so good. And, but, you know, there's not, a, there's not a decade since he started acting where he hasn't turned out multiple impressive roles it's not just some guy who you know shows up every once in a while with something great it's somebody who is constantly working well and like from 1955 on he was working and just so much theatrical stuff that he did just all the Shakespeare and he's quoted as saying that he considers he knew all of the sonnets like all of all of the Shakespeare's sonnets he knew them all by heart and would read them like every day because he was a even though he wasn't the best husband according to all reports because of you know the drinking but he was a romantic and he loved Shakespeare I mean he loved it and thought that was the most beautiful verse ever written so that is why if you go and if you look up his works there's so much there. And he was like one of those guys that voice was born to speak the bard. <laughs> and it, it's just, God, we don't have that many of these kind of guys left. And uh, I, I it just, you know, he's one of those guys that can step into the biggest pile of poop in terms of a film and make it at least two or three steps above what it should be <laughs> and i'm going to use an example here like supergirl <laughs> where he's like the only reason <laughs> to watch this movie sorry Saber. um but even up until just just recently he's he was working i mean he he announced his retirement it's almost like he couldn't live without acting you know mm-hmm. and I, it, it almost feels like that because he only last year announced that he was retiring. And up until uh, just this year, he's been in films. and well, he, just, he has one coming out in 2014. Right. It, I mean, it's, it's literally he kept working right up until the end. And uh, I just, you know, I, it just kills me inside because I really... These guys are few and far between now, and I, uh, I don't like us losing them. I know we have to let them go, but it still just sucks. And, but it's one of those things where they, they nailed it on the head. You know, we've got um, – I was watching a, a piece about him on TV, and someone said basically, you know, you're never going to – these legends never die. And it's and they showed this close up of a scene from Lawrence of Arabia, and really, that's one of those things that's going to live on forever. 
that role, that film, and he won't. Well, the, these these actors that we admire now owe so much to him and Burton and Rex Harrison and all these, you know, um, old school guys. We're having kind of a renaissance right now, but they are they are forever in these guys' shadow because they were the first ones. They created these roles. They they forged the fact that you could do that kind of thing in um in movies and in TV and in radio and in the stage and you know um it's amazing that he kept working after they thought his alcoholism had ruined his stomach and his intestinal tract they removed a bunch of it in the they 70s. removed his pancreas his and, entire pancreas and then later they found out he actually it wasn't actually that it was cancer and they removed even more and so because of all that the hard living and everything he those gorgeous good looks left but he kept what was important and it, it he worked even though he wasn't getting those you know front and center roles for a long time until he started to get them finally again right but i mean that kind of thing we don't see happen anymore we discard people who aren't beautiful you know and but you can never take his eyes nope those shown through everything and and that's what's so great is that you could see in in those eyes that that soul of the actor within him as well as that just hint of the mischief never left them either i mean he was such a dry-witted bastard (laughs) he's very he's very um oscar wildean yeah i always remember um he had the greatest quotes there was one about him um his idea of heaven is moving from one smoke-filmed room to another he has no he does not like the outside or any of this it's one smoke-filled room to the other it's like he was born to be in a bar Booze is the most outrageous of drugs, which is why I chose it, was another one that I found recently. <laughs> the, the the booze stories are great. And there's a couple of books out there actually about, specifically about Oliver Reed, Richard Burton, um, Richard Harris, and Peter O'Toole. <laughs> and talking about just the fact that these men were the most ridiculous alcoholics ever to live. And yet they could go on after being on a two-day bender with three waking up and go, oh my God, I got to be on stage in three hours. And they do it. Have you heard about his house rules one New Year's Eve? No. <laughs> Fornication, madness, murder, drunkenness, shouting, shrieking, leaping, polite conversation, and the breaking of bones. Such jollities constitute acceptable behavior, but no acting allowed. <laughs> yes. It's one of my favorites too. Um, but I would like to... Um, before we move on to our interview portion of the show, I'd like, uh, Rachel, give us a couple of your favorite roles and or films that he did. Well, I mean, we've mentioned so many of them. Um, I have, even though it's maybe one of my least favorite musicals in the whole world, I have this soft spot for him in Man of La Mancha. <laughs> I just do. I just, he's heartbreaking in that movie. Um, and another one that maybe he doesn't get a lot of, um, people don't remember as much was, it's so stupid. He was in this movie with Jared Padalecki that was like based off of, um, 
uh, Thomas Kincaid. It was called Christmas Cottage. <laughs> it came out in like 2007 or 2008. Wow. But I mean, and it's totally like your lifetime movie kind of a thing. But he and Jared Padalecki make it watchable. And there's just something, I don't know, there's just something sweet about it. And it's kind of off pudding because you're not expecting him to be in that movie I guess (laughs) and so as much as you know how much I hate Thomas Kincaid I have to say the movie Thomas Kincaid's Christmas Cottage with him and Jared Padalecki it's one of the latest last things he did and I feel like it was one of his final stretches into like sweetness (laughs) I would never put him and sweetness together I would never put him and Jared Padalecki in a Thomas Kincaid. I, that either. But yeah, my, Man of La Mancha, I, I will always be like very tender towards that role of his with Sophia Loren playing. That's very beautiful. The whore. The whore. Um, so I'm going to pick, I've already said Casanova. You, you really should yeah. check it out. But the other couple I love, um, I really, really enjoyed him in um, How to Steal a Million with Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, not Audrey Hepburn. Oh, my God. Uh, God, how am I blanking? Uh, yeah, it is Audrey Hepburn. Why am I thinking Catherine? Ah, Audrey Hepburn. Jesus. But you, it, you, were, you were thinking um, Catherine, Catherine Hepburn, Hepburn because they were very good friends. Um, but Audrey Hepburn and Peter O'Toole, just adorable movie. And it's one of those classic caper ones that we don't get anymore where it's very stylish and uh, just he's he's gorgeous she's gorgeous they play off each other really really brilliantly and he's so suave he is so suave um and i also it this is on netflix streaming and you can watch it uh it's one of those movies that is completely 80s but just brilliant and that is creator oh yeah uh because there's he just rises above that material which is still not bad but he just brings to it like this I don't know there's just a endearing quality to him in that we believe him and he's such a sweetheart in it and just caring and 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 uh loving guy in that's on Netflix as well yeah and uh I really really love that but yeah the tutors with him taking on Jonathan Rice Myers in that is another one. But he did the voice of Sherlock Holmes in all those animated films. Yeah, he did a ton of animated Sherlock movies, which is I think I actually have one on DVD. They're not particularly well animated, but his voice makes them. Yeah. He Gotta was, watch it. I, and then there was, of course, he's in this, Bright Young Sains, oh. which everybody's in. I'm in it. Um, it's... <laughs> If I'm, I should be in it. Uh, <laughs> David Tennant's in this. Everybody's in this movie. Oh my God! Fried wrote and directed it. Isn't it an adaptation of an Evelyn Waugh? Yes, and yeah. like e- Emily Mortimer's in there. Michael Sheen's in there. Stalker Channing, Jimmy Mack, <laughs> uh, Jim Carter, Dan Aykroyd, <laughs> Jim Broadbent. Everybody is in this movie. So it's, it's great. It's, it is beautifully done to too. Watch it. Um, but so seriously, if if you're if you haven't if you somehow listen to our show and you don't know who Peter O'Toole is, and you're wondering why is everybody sad and who is this guy? Why are they making this big deal about this man? Um, this 
go go learn yourself something and uh, look this man up and go watch his work and realize why we are sad to see him go. Because, yeah, we've got some new actors out there that are trying to fill his shoes, but no one can. And um, there aren't many left. One of them is Christopher Lee. We still have him. He's 91 years old. We're not going to have him for much longer. Um, but Peter O'Toole was sort of like Elizabeth. It, she, he was. He was like Elizabeth Taylor. They had something that we no longer have. And we miss him. And But we thank him for being here and giving us what he gave us when he was. And all the crazy stories, all the crazy drinking, you know, all of that. But there's the bad, but you also have all of this good. And it's all him. So you got to take the good with the bad. But we have so much good from him. So thank you, sir, for giving us T.E. Lawrence and for everything else that you shared and for showing us what the eyes of an angel look like in a man. And I can't add really any more to that. <laughs> I don't think you should. Uh, so uh, thank you. And coming up, we will have the director of Open Grave. And before we uh, uh, get to that, uh, Rachel, thank you for being on. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, we will be back. Also, thank, thank you, uh, dentists, for not destroying my jaw. This is the first episode I've been back since I had oral surgery. <laughs> and... <laughs> And I can actually talk and not sound like a Brady kid, which I was sounding like a few days ago. Sound a little like Dan, uh, Peter Boyle and Young Frankenstein. Burn on the red. Burn on the red. <laughs> uh, 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 so thank you so much for listening. And uh, we will be heading into our interview portion right now. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome Gonzalo Lopez Gallego to Fangirl Radio. Uh, Gonzalo is the director of the amazing Open Grave, which hits on demand uh, Tuesday, the 24th of December. And I got to see a preview of this film, and it was it blew my socks off, which I'm very happy now. I know the mystery, which was driving me crazy, thanks to the trailers. Um, but we have Gonzalo here to talk to us about it, and I can't wait to pick his brain about this movie. Hello, how are you? <laughs> Doing great. So first off, what attracted you to this particular project? Because it, it's uh, just it's such a neat movie, and I'm, I'm going to try and keep this as spoiler-free as possible because the mystery is just the best part of this film. Um, but what brought you aboard and what attracted you to it? I think that mystery it was what catched me from the very beginning. The the producers from Atlas Independent, Aaron Ginsburg and William Green, sent sent me this script. They sent it because they liked the movie I did in Spain called uh, King of the Hill, El Rey de la Montaña in Spanish, mm -hmm. and they wanted to do a similar approach or emotional approach. And, and so they sent me the script. I read it, and what really catched me from the beginning was that mystery and the strong lack of memory that struggles that these characters are suffering with and um, how I could play with characters that are completely naked in emotions and memories and they have to start from zero and 
and they confronted in of with a, with terrible situations where they think they did wrong and bad things and basically yes without spoiling anything in the movie but John starts in that middle of an open grave with all those corpses all those dead bodies and and he knows nothing about it and and that was really really interesting to me how could I play with with someone that is going to ask himself for the rest of the movie if he's a bad guy or not and and what all the questions are you know carrying with that well and i i absolutely love the beginning shot that that just close up and and just you know just pulling back and not knowing what's going on and then you realize where he is is just phenomenal um but in regards to the mystery of the movie and this is uh, this is something that a lot of t- before the internet and before the age of computers and how we are just able to get a hold of everything early and we can we can get all these spoilers ahead of time the trailer managed to convey the mystery without giving it away how important is it these days to to try and do that with a trailer and how how and how difficult is it to do that as well as how difficult is it to retain the mystery of a movie these days when the information is so available it is really difficult really <laughs> absolutely difficult really and i think uh, most of the time uh, depending on who you're working with they Maybe they don't care about the mystery and they just want to sell, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, in this particular case, we were lucky. We have someone in Tribeca that they were cutting a really great trailer that really works really good and it's really, really nice edited. And I love it. Maybe personally, I, I don't know if I could take something out or not I, because uh, when you work for so long in the movie, you lose completely the the focus, you know, you get uh, completely subjective with what information you're giving or not. And and maybe I, t- I have the tendency to to be really protective with it. You know, I don't want to sell anything. I don't want it. You know, I want the people to discover it in the movie. I don't want it. But you have to sell the movie. So you need to use your, you know, your weapons, but you have to sell it properly. So it is. I think it's quite a challenge. Well, and and it was funny because I kept, like, every time I'd see stills from it and every time I'd see the trailer, I'd be, like, yelling, is it a zombie movie? What the hell is it? I've got to know. <laughs> and so that was just, that was just uh, you know, props to the guys who edited that trailer because it it fed that, what is this? Oh, my God. You know, is it, the hell is it? Is it a mystery? Is it a horror movie? Is it this and and in reality not giving away spoilers it's everything it's all of these things together which is mm-hmm. brilliant and that's really the best way to describe it it's all of that and um just really well done so the cast you have in this is phenomenal um we shelto copley is like a favorite of everybody that works on the show and on our webzine and we love him and he just does such a fabulous job in this but everybody does such a great job and thomas kretchum who's in everything now is in this too and he does an amazing job how was it to put together this cast and what was it like working with them to work with them was great 
the the thing of uh, getting salted quickly was actually, I think it was before the producers reached me. When they were thinking about the movie before finding the director or anything, they, they had in mind Salto Coupli. So when I was on board, um, they they told me the name. What do you think about it? Like, okay, yeah, let's try, you know? And then I remember how we were hunting him, <laughs> trying to, 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 to convince him to do the movie. Um, he's a really great actor, pretty, pretty talented and, and intense and really generous, always giving you options of everything and, and collaborative working. We work together even in the script, you know, so I we became friends. So we we had a really great relationship. And and with Thomas Kirchman was love at the first sight. I think <laughs> we caught him, he came out the office and he didn't know who I was because I was at the lobby waiting for something and, and and we knew immediately who we are, you know, it's like, oh, you're Thomas Christian, yeah, you're okay. And then we started talking, like, <laughs> like I don't know, yeah, really, like, if we know each other, knew each other for a long time. So from that very first day, we worked, like, really smooth. Oh, that's good. And the way I normally work, I I have the tendency to, to write full biographies for each character. That's something that I did in my first movie when I started the... Uh, uh, I don't know, 2000 or something, and that really independent and experimental movie I did here in Spain, and uh, I was experimenting also with that, so I was writing biographies for each character, and that's something I'm still doing. So that's the way I work with them, but in this particular case with this movie, we were sharing the information of each biography little by little, because we wanted the characters actually to not know what was going on. And since all of them, they were coming from different places, different different places of the world, from 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 England, from South Africa, from Germany, from China, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was helping to give a lot of color and different different textures and different kind of characters uh, around the movie. Well, and I was going to say, with the the plot of this, I don't know how you could, you know, you would have to give them a little at a time because if you gave them everything, it would give them too much because they have to be lost and they have to not know who they are. Um, but and and that's that that's one thing I was like it's hard to ask this question without giving away things but there's science plays a part in this. How um did you do any kind of research for some of the 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 parts in the film where that plays a role? Um well, I was doing a uh research about like uh, but this not in this movie I'm I I'm doing it in each movie I'm really always trying to research about mental illness about really uh, how our brain it's fooling us and tricking us all mm-hmm. the time and I'm really curious about that and I know that in the end if I have the chance to talk a little about that in the movie I go for it, and in this movie, that that's why it was catching me because it's like, okay, this is perfect. You know, I can talk about how these people completely naked on on, on on feelings and emotions, and you know, it's like working with with their brains and with the questions they ask themselves. And, and so, uh, I I try to really investigate about how you really feel when you 
have nothing to grab on. And 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 since it's a horror movie and a fantastic movie, and you can you can go farther with that. You can create that really that strong amnesia until incredible limits, you know. So that's why in the movie he starts like that. He starts from zero. He starts moving his 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 bones and uh, yeah. <laughs> connecting it again and trying to know who he is. And he discovers. I don't know fire even and how the fire works and then starts breathing for the first time and and so it that was something that of course that catch me from the very beginning and that we together researched. Well, and, and I really liked how you conveyed the disorientation and and what they were going through too. But I gotta tell you, yeah, you you cr- made me cringe with the bone sounds. That just was like, oh, oh. What the hell is? Oh my God, that's his. That's his fingers. Oh God, so that was that was brilliant. I really like that. That scene is just great. Um, so, kind of leading into that is the look and the style of the film is just beautifully done. I love I love how you did the panorama shots and just the pan ups from the 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 big pile of bodies and and just those shots. What um. What influenced the style and look that you wanted for this movie specifically? I can tell you that the other obsession I had with the movie is that I wanted to to, to see horror things happening in beautiful places. For some reason, I was thinking that, that the world that it's described in the movie is starting to, to breathe again because... Uh, because the nasty humans are really <laughs> disappearing, and nature is is again you know breathing and having a release, so I thought and I wanted to represent that the hell that it's described in the movie by using beautiful pictures, beautiful landscapes where horrible things are happening like like paintings you know so so to work with the DP, that it's uh, my partner, my friend, that I worked with him from my very first Spanish movie. We talk a lot about about paintings, you know, about 19th century painters and 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 trying to put the weird element and the, the extreme horrific element in those beautiful places. We wanted to do horror scenes at daylight. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. So, did um, and sort of feeding into that as well. Um, how how difficult was it to um, to film in this in in these scenes? And because the the stuff that like the 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 body pit had to be hard to shoot in. Um, I mean, it, it looked like it would be. So, you know, what sort of difficulties? especially with those grave scenes, did you come into uh, finding, trying to film this? <coughs> Sorry. Um, no the body, the, the pit with bodies, it was really difficult. Really difficult. I mean, the first challenge you confront in a movie like this is the time. You don't have all the time in the world to do things in, with all the time in the world. You know, you really need to measure what you're doing. But that, in the end, helps you to find alternative solutions for things that in the end had a kind of uh, interesting result that you were not expecting, you know, because if you do your homework really, really good and you work a lot with the characters and you, you really think about what you want to do with it and the look and everything, 
then when you are running out of time and you feel with the pressure that you need to improvise and do something, you know, you feel confident with it and you know that somehow you and the rest of the crew is going to improvise in the direction that is going to help the movie. But specifically the pit, it was um, conformed with the uh, with a layer of, of, of some some clothes and things like that. Then we had our dummies and things like, like that. We, then we have stunts. So it was like a cake, you know, like different layer. <laughs> and then over the top of the, of the stunts, uh, we had uh, real people, like a lot of people, like 60 or 70 people. And so it was difficult for the actors to walk around that because you just have to step on the stunts. You cannot step on someone that's not a stunt. <laughs> and for the crew, for the camera operator, and me, myself, um, I did a movie before in a boat, and I thought that to film in, in a boat in, in the sea, it was it was a challenge. It is more challenging to, to suit over bodies of real people. <laughs> so did, was there, did anything happen? Like, do you have any really good... Uh, kind of sadly funny stories that happened about filming in that pit? Did, was there any one yeah. sequence that, that stands out for you? <laughs> I mean, there was that night, you know, that was really, we had a storm, storm, oh, storm coming, a really nasty storm, and the, the pit was full with, with all the people, and and we had to cancel. We had to, to get everybody out of the of the pit because we had a big, big, you know, the, one of those this huge lights over it, uh, hanging from a crane. And then the wind started so bad, and, and they were like, "Okay, everybody out of this pit." And that day, that was it was not funny, you know. It was not a nice situation. But but then we found a different way to solve the scene that it, it ended up being better than than what we wanted to do. Uh, I can only imagine being in that thing with the rain, if it actually rained on you in there. <laughs> oh, well, God. you can't mind. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, oh, no worries. Um, so uh, I know we're getting ready to one out of time, but I, I wanted to ask, because um, you could possibly do another one of these. I'm curious to see if you would want to do another, uh, like an open grave too. Um, no. Because... Oh, you wouldn't? <laughs> yeah, I mean, not with that title. <laughs> Would you want to continue in this world, though, that you've created? Because it's pretty damn interesting. Look, I I have to admit, we just thought about that once in a while. And when we discovered the ending of the movie, because that ending was not written on the original script. Oh. So we wrote it when we went on location and we found that incredible place that uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but then I called the writers and I told them what I found. I, I said, look, I think we need to change the ending and I think the movie should end here. And, and then it's when we started thinking about it. But uh, first thing to do a sequel, you, you need, you need, I don't know, the audience response and all things like that for the producers to, to think that they love to, to repeat their experience and and for me myself I never did any any sequel I love to experiment I love to learn new things I love to try and if that's something I never did before why not but I can tell you I I, I don't like call it open grave 2 I, I don't think that would be a good thing I think it would be 
completely different story that this is the beginning of something this is where the we're talking about that strong lack of memory mm-hmm. and how these characters behave with each other not knowing who they are and I think if we go for it it should t- talk about something different oh yeah for sure because it wouldn't yeah that would make sense but I would love to see more of these people because it's just but I don't know if the, if the sequel will look too much like The Last of Us that it's an amazing <laughs> video game you know oh it's true <laughs> Hey, you know, maybe, maybe they did the sequel. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, um, Gonzalo, thank you so much. And I absolutely love this movie. I know someone else that has seen it as well, and they were blown away by it too. So when this hits, it's going to – but I just wanted to tell you, it, great film, just so phenomenally done. And, and I know you guys worked really hard on it, and I can't wait for everyone to see it on December 24th on demand. Such a great movie. So thank you for Open Grave. It's brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you again. Bye-bye. <laughs> um, so um, I want to thank Gonzalo Lopez Gallego for joining us. Um, o- Open Grave hits on demand Tuesday, December 24th. And you really need to check this out. It is a brilliant movie. And no spoilers. It is just a really good flick. It's a hybrid of science fiction, horror, and um a thriller and a mystery and you really should check it out Shalto Copley does an amazing job and everyone else involved Thomas Kretschmann and the whole gang do as well beautifully shot, great movie check it out, on demand December 24th, Open Grave and thank you for listening When I look out into your eyes out there, when I look out into your faces, you know what I see? I see a little bit of Elvis in each and every one of you out there. Let me tell you, well, Elvis is everywhere. J. Fox has no Elvis in him. Uh-oh. Yeah, and Elvis is in Joan Rivers, but he's trying to get out, man. He's trying to get out. Listen up, Joni, baby. Elvis is everywhere. Elvis is everything. Elvis is everybody. Elvis is still the king. Man, oh man, what I want you to see is everything is inside of you and me. phenomenon out there in the world. A lot of things people say, what the heck's going on? Let me tell ya. Who built the pyramids? Elvis! Who built Stonehenge? Elvis! Yeah, I mean, you see guys walking down the street, pushing shopping carts, 
And you think they're talking to Allah? They're talking to themselves, man. No, they're talking to Elvis, Elvis, Elvis. You know what's going on down the Bermuda Triangle? Down the Bermuda Triangle. Elvis needs boats. Elvis needs boats. Elvis, 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 Elvis needs boats. Ah, the sailing Elvis. Captain Elvis. Commodore Elvis it is. Yeah, man. You know, people from outer space. People from outer space, they come up to me. They don't look like Dr. Spock. They don't look like Klingons, all that Star Trek job. They look like Elvis. Elvis! Everybody in outer space looks like Elvis, because Elvis is a perfect being. We're all moving in perfect peace and harmony towards Elvisness. Soon all will become Elvis. Everything, everywhere will be Elvis. Why do you think they call it evolution anyway? It's really Elvis Lucian. Elvis Lucian. Elvis is everywhere. Elvis is everything. The time has come. Time has come to talk that little bit of Elvis inside of you. Talk to it. Call it up. Say, Elvis, heal me. Save me, Elvis. Make me be born again in the perfect Elvis light. That's right. You got that Elvis inside of you, and he's talking to you. He says he wants you to sing. Everybody got to sing like the king. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like the king. Uh-huh. Get that leg going now. Uh-huh. And get your lip too. Uh-huh. Not no fool, Billy. I don't live either. Uh-huh. Everybody. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're rocking now. Uh-huh. Elvis is with us. He's uh-huh. with us and he's speaking to us. He says, "Peoples." Uh-huh. He says, "Peoples." Uh-huh. Everybody. Everybody gotta uh-huh. sing. 